Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Nomad Strength Show. I'm Ross Hillier, your host. Today, my guest is arguably the most requested person I get from people who listen to the show and want me to have on. And I already was going to have him on anyways, so I appreciate you guys asking, but he was already going to come on the show. Uh, but I have looked up to him for a long time and learned from him in the strength and health realm for many years now. And I can now consider him a friend and someone that I talk to about a lot of things, not just strength and health stuff, but life and uh, family and and all the things that we're actually going to talk a lot about in this episode. And that is Brandon Lilly. So I'm really pumped about this episode. It was a really fun conversation. We're going to do more episodes together and I'm going to go on the Peace, Love and Meet. Uh, we're going to do a big Peace, Love and Meet podcast at some point, which is his podcast. We talk a little bit about that. And if you follow this page and you know who Brandon is, you probably know who what the Peace, Love and Meet Instagram is. Uh, it's a fantastic Instagram account that he started a little over a year ago with a couple other guys that I know as well. And it's just an awesome, awesome Instagram page and motivational and they have great training information and uh, just sharing ways to get better every day. So if you're on Instagram, which most of you are, go check out Peace, Love and Meet. Uh, but this episode was really fun for me. We talk about a lot of things that this is honestly how many of the conversations go when Brandon and I just talk on the phone or uh, the, the types of conversations we have where it just moves from one topic to the next and we just really take deeper dives into some stuff. So it was really fun to talk and have this one be recorded so you guys can kind of hear just what like a conversation between the two of us is like. And uh, we talk a lot about some things that he and I are going through together with jujitsu because he is really diving into the jujitsu side of things. And you've heard me talk about it on this show uh, with my recent adaptations in, in starting jujitsu and getting into that world and adapting my training to jujitsu now, now having a focus for it. And he's very similar in that regard where he is now focusing his training to better jujitsu and uh, training for something. So he talks about how 
that has shaped his training coming from being one of the best power lifters ever. Uh, and he talks about one of his coolest, one, for me, it was one of the cool stories was his most, pr- his proudest powerlifting achievement probably isn't, uh, what you would think it is. Uh, so he tells that story. And then we also talk a lot about journaling. Uh, and then we, talk quite a bit about our our late friend Terrence Mitchell who passed away back in October and his influence on the both of us and really his influence on on both of our perceptions of masculinity and and what masculinity really is and Brandon brings up a really cool uh, analogy or not even really an analogy but he just brings up a very interesting point about uh, what he imagines that masculinity being for sale in today's culture and so we talk a little bit about that so I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to dive into this episode it was a lot of fun and like I said I'm sure we'll have him on again at some point in the future uh, but before we get into the episode you're going to hear the spiel like you do every single time so go rate review subscribe it actually really helps the show get seen I'm not just saying that. Uh, so leave a nice review uh, on on Apple Podcasts or wherever they allow you to do that. I don't think Spotify, you can actually write reviews yet, um, but I know you can on Apple Podcasts for those of you that listen there. Uh, leave five-star reviews, uh, make the show grow. And it, it's all because of the people that listen. It's not anything that I do. So uh, if you would take a couple of seconds and just go do that before you dive into the episode, that would be awesome. And I would really appreciate it. So without further ado, here is the conversation with my good friend, Brandon Lilly. All right, welcome to another episode of the Nomad Strength Show. I am Ross Hillier, your host, and today my guest is someone that I have looked up to for a long time and recently become much closer with, and and I would consider him a friend, uh, Mr. Brandon Lilly. So thank you, my friend, for hopping on. Oh, thanks for having me again. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is always good to talk to you and catch up, so appreciate it. Yeah, man. So we were just talking, we'll kind of, I want to kind of continue what we were just talking about off, off sure. recording, uh, because yeah. I think we, that was leading somewhere cool. So, uh, a little bit of background, uh, Brandon, obviously, if you actually, I shouldn't say obviously, cause if you don't know who Brandon is, uh, came from powerlifting world and at the highest level, um, I'm not even sure I could list all of the the accolades that come with the powerlifting <laughs> thing, but that was a, another lifetime ago, it seems, uh, yeah. right now we're, we're both into the very beginning stages of our jujitsu lives and me literally within just the last couple of weeks and him a lot longer long than myself. But we're just talking about how humbling the whole process can be when you've spent so much of your life thinking one part of your gift of, of strength was going to carry you through all these other things. And you come to something like jujitsu. And I gave the example of my teacher who is a little, you know, five foot one, 115 pound woman can just kind of manipulate and throw me all over the mat and do whatever she wants. And it's just kind of that humbling aspect. So uh, I want to have you continue kind of like with what you're saying and just how that change happens with realizing that this is a completely different world that we're in now and how yeah. you adapt to, to change. Well, I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, our mutual contact, uh, Greg Walsh, he made a really fantastic yeah. post, uh, The Tiger Inside. That post really kind of, it resonated with me when I read it. And I periodically go back and read it. And I've shared it a couple of times recently. But, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to be doom and gloom. There's enough of that right. stuff going on in the world today. But I do think that we need to be realistic and recognize that the world, you know, I just, I just got back from a, from a big city trip. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough city, rough city, and it's a great city. But um, I, was, I was there with client work and I was doing some specifics. And you could look around 
And at 1030 on Saturday night, there was a shooting about 75 feet from me. Okay. Um, And, you know, that's the reality of the world we live in. The small town that I'm sitting in right now of Richmond, Kentucky, where my class is, I've seen violence uptick here in my small town where my hometown where I live just a few miles south of here. The thefts are up. The burglaries are up. So I don't want to be like, oh, the world's a bad place. It's it's whatever. The world is a lot of what you make it and what you're prepared for. You know, like when even when I was down there, you know, I didn't I didn't necessarily have a, a you know the ability to get into an old western shootout kind of thing. But <laughs> right. you know, if somebody was uh, if somebody was intent on harming me with their hands, um, I at least feel like I'm trying to progress towards a position where, as we talked about before, I was a hundred pounds heavier and and eons stronger. Right. So now. I'm a little bit more like I'm not looking for a fight as readily, but I'm also not looking to uh, to get my ass whipped either. So the tiger inside approach for me is that you don't want to imagine that you have this tiger inside if you're not training that tiger inside. You know, I think a lot of guys have this idea and, I, you know, I'm going to give a quote unquote archetype, you know, the guy with the tap out shirt and, you know, he's walking down the street with his chest puffed up and he thinks he's done something. And there may be a guy that is, that's fully capable, but most people think because they watch UFC that that, that kind of training is going to elicit a response in a stressful situation. I can tell you mm-hmm. what happens most of the time in those high stress situations is people just clam up. So yeah. getting, getting used to things that are out of your comfort zone, being able to like kind of take care of yourself in a different way. Jiu-Jitsu just opened a lot for me because I, a lot of my friends like yourself, they're spread out all over the country. I don't really have a community at home. Right. So, so Jiu-Jitsu first and foremost gave me a community, a place of uh, accountability where I come three to four times a week, see the same faces, see the same people. And I was like, man, that guy started the same day I did and he's doing so much better. So it's like, what do mm-hmm. I do now? But it's just been something that, I've been, I've been looking for something to fill the void that powerlifting left whenever I got injured. And, um, you know, for me, I need that physical burn. I need something to challenge myself and I need something to, to feel like I'm progressing, like I'm getting better. But the thing about jujitsu, and I know that it's, it's kind of cliche to just talk about it. And, you know, Rogan talks about it and it's, it's a big, big thing, but really, I don't think most people understand how sophisticated yes. the, the training is and how instinctually my arms want to go out, but technically my arms should come in, <clears throat> you know, and it's just, it's such a, it's such a mind bender uh, for a lot of things. And I, and I welcome that. So I'm glad that you got into it. I was really excited to see that you had a good first class. Um, I, I certainly feel like I told my coach today, I certainly feel at times like I'm the the guy slowing progress down for everyone mm-hmm. because I ask so many questions, but I just, I don't learn like I did when I was younger. I right. don't absorb things as quickly when, I, and it's, it's, it's maddening. Like it really, it really angers me that I can't grasp it faster, but that's part of it. He was like, everybody that's been here before you says the same stuff. So yeah. I'm just believing that and riding the wave. So what kind of, that, that actually brought up an interesting question. What kind of learner are you? Do you need to see it done? Do you need to feel it done or can you hear it? Like what, like what do you tend to float towards? With to <laughs> well, it's, it's really funny that you say that because the school that I went to in elementary school uh, and through middle school <clears throat> was an education experiment. Um, Sweden had built some schools that had no walls between the classrooms. Okay. And the idea, and the idea was, that you would 
learn what you were absorbing straight ahead, but you would also absorb 10 to 15% just audibly like Hmm. infused from the other classrooms. And what I found was that I was passing notes to girls in the other classrooms (laughs) or sneaking a bottle of Sprite that had some vodka mixed in it between the (laughs) classrooms and stuff, not in middle school and elementary, but I did go to one year of high school. So, but, um, that I have a real learning problem because of that. I can't study in a quiet, I can't study in a quiet library. Um, a lot of times my, my mind just wonders, like I'll even find it in here. Sometimes he'll be demonstrating and I'll find myself like looking at somebody else that's mimicking the move. Mm. And I'm like, why am I looking at them? Not him. Right. So, um, I have to, a lot of times like hyper, like tell myself hyper-focus on this, visualize it, ask a question or two, implement, and then ask more questions. Um, I'm, and I'd, I've never been like that. I used like athletically, if it was yeah. something with movement, I could pick it up so fast. But I've also, because of my 20 knee surgeries, you know, and everything else, I also have to kind of like finagle how I'm going to do the maneuver as I'm watching it. So I have to tell my brain, like, stop thinking ahead, observe, implement, and then adjust, observe, implement, and adjust. And it's, it's hard because these, the other the other four or five people that come in the mornings are killers. They pick yeah. it up really fast. They're young. They're, they're mobile. Their knees go every direction that they're supposed to. They're to- <laughs> they have like toes that work like my fingers do. So, um, I'm just this big Neanderthal rolling around like a, you know, like, so I, I look like a bullfrog. I look like a bullfrog in the class relative to everyone else. Like that's a great visual. Well, you know, the, do you, do you remember the old, uh, Looney Tunes where the, the frog would sing the song like, yes. hello, my daughter. Yes. That's me. Like when it's time to perform, like mm. I'm sitting there like, I got this coach. I got this. And then he's like, all right, let's do it. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't even know what to do. Like uh, we just did this 75 times, Brandon. What do you do now? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's humbling. It is yeah. definitely a thing. Cause they were like, oh man, Brandon, we know who you are. And, we've heard so much about you. You're an animal. And then they're like, Oh, this dude just, he's got a learning, he's got a learning disability. That's awesome. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so. just a completely different world. I mean, and that's, and one of the things that, and we talked about it in, in conversations before about like the, the tiger inside post, right. The, uh, uh, several, several years back, I went through a whole, I did for like two years, basically went through basic, uh, like firearm safety courses, yeah. but also <clears throat> scenario based stuff learning how to clear rooms, learning how to actually carry. And I mean, like it was this whole thing. I had a teacher did for about two years. Yep. And one of the things he always used to say is when you're ever in some kind of stressful situation, you never rise to the occasion. Nobody ever rises to the occasion. You always fall back to the highest level of your training at that time. Yep. And that's because just a, a natural stress response and, and nervous system response, you have no ability to like psych yourself up and like, decide I'm going to be this guy in this moment. It's always, you're going to fall back and wherever that, that ceiling of training is that you've had, that's where you're falling back to. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's something to be said for if you've never been hit in the face. Yeah. I mean, and it's not the Mike Tyson thing. It's like, if you've never been hit in the face, I promise you the first time that you are, you'll just want to stop everything. You'll just be yeah. like, okay, you got it. You won. Yep. Good job. I, I was wrong, sir. <laughs> you yep, know what I mean? Exactly. Like, but it's just like anything else. Um, not that you want to get hit in the face a bunch, but you know, if you're sparring or if you're wearing headgear, it, it's good to get those 60% punches, you know, just mm-hmm. to get the idea of like, okay, this is what my head does when I'm rocked, or this is what my head does when I'm trying to duck and weave and those kind of things. And 
you know, I don't want to sit again. I don't want to sound like the world is just collapsing on itself, but man, you know, the world is not a, a, a nice place and I'm getting a little bit older. My left knee is not so great. It's just something I, I would rather be able to show somebody a little bit of prowess mm-hmm. at self-defense mm-hmm. pretty quickly and be like, okay, this is the wrong guy to mess with and move on. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to whip anybody's ass. I'm not trying to be this tough guy. It's more like, I just don't want to walk down the street and come home without my wallet. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but I, you know, I also, I, I can still carry, I have a couple knives on me at all times. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not because I think I'm a, a tough guy or whatever. It's actually the opposite. I just, I realize that in most situations I'm at a deficit. So I am preparing myself and I've worked in, I've done a same kind of stuff as you. I've done some um, state police kind of courses and, and mm-hmm. some three gun stuff. And I just think it's a good time in this world to have some capability to know that I can protect myself. I can protect my friends. I can protect my family. And you know, there's, there's no, there's no desire to ever have to utilize any of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more like a a solitude uh, of knowing that I can not necessarily that I want to. Um, I am going to compete. I've got a competition coming up somewhere between eight and 11 weeks. There's there's nice. like three or four, there's three or four competitions right in a row. So that that's one thing at our gym here is that, you know, if you kind of commit that I'm one of the, the more serious people here, you know, they don't, they don't challenge anybody to do anything they don't want to do. Right. But if you look at, if you look at seafood and you say, Hey, I want to do this, then he's going to say, well, you need to compete. You know, you need to see where you stand. You need to learn your, your vulnerabilities and go from there. So yeah, I, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't throw my hat in the arena in that sense, because, yeah. you know, it's a controlled environment. It's a technical environment where you're learning, you're, you're applying and then coming back and getting reamed by the coach over what you did wrong. But um, no, it, it's, it's given me something to attach myself to the discipline that I, yeah. that I create is a lot of times, tied around an end goal. If I just have like, Hey, I just want to be the best version of me. Well, I can tell you what happens. It's two or three weeks of really good discipline. And then two or three weeks of like, okay, I did it. I was the best me for two or three weeks. Let's go. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and that's, and that's something that a lot of people have a misconception about me. They think, they think I wake up every morning with like gasoline in my pants, ready to go just crush everything. Um, it's quite the opposite. A lot of times I have to, I kind of have to shit talk myself a little bit and will myself forward because for 20 years, you know, I I basically pursued powerlifting at a high level and it wasn't because I loved training. It wasn't because I loved any of that. It's, I loved winning, Yeah. which, you know, but I was also so afraid of losing and now to start all over into something where I'm an absolute beginner where it's like, okay, yeah, I've, I've got a good job. I've got a little money in the bank. I've got a family. I've got all the things that people tell you that life mm-hmm. should be holding for you. Why are you going to go in here and get your arm twisted in a Camaro? Or why are you going to get leg mm-hmm. locked or head locked or whatever? But I'm not as good without those struggles. And I know that even, even as hard as it is for me right now, like 5.30, the alarm goes off. Sure as hell want to lay in there for another two hours. Yep. You know, um, it's just, I am not a person who is good without something to, to chase. That's just, that's just the truth of it. So trying yeah. to figure out how this works and it maybe jujitsu leads me into something else in here, but I do, I do enjoy this community. The people here are fantastic. They get together a couple times a month for, they went uh, roller skating over the weekend at the skating rink, you know? <laughs> so it's, um, community is very important, probably more important to me than the technical skill. 
Cause I, you know, if, if it came right down to it, if I was truly threatened, like I said, I always concealed carry. So yeah, I would at least, you know, I would at least uh, make it aware that I was holding just, if, right. even if I just lifted my shirt up, I'd be like, are you sure you want to do this, man? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um, no, we're, but super, I think, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, we're no, su- I, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say we're super similar in that regard. Cause so much of what I do work-wise, I mean, I, everything is online now. Like I don't, yeah. you know, I don't, necessarily train that many people in in person anymore. I got a couple of kids that I work with right now because their dad wants me to work with them for the summer stuff for sports, but that's really it. And so everything online, like I've lost a lot of the community, like you said, like I don't have a gym I go to where I have people there that are consistent and stuff. And like, don't get me wrong. I love spending time at home with my wife and my son, but when I started going to this, this school up the road, which is nice because it's a mile away from the house. And uh, it's just, like you said, you see the same people, it gives you a reason to, to get up and get moving and like better yourself. But also in my instance, programming my own workouts and my own program and stuff, it gives me some direction with how I want to program things for myself. It's not just like, Hey, I'm going to just, you know, kind of follow this same template I've been doing for two years without it leading yeah. where I actually have focuses now that I can directly put into my program. like, this is going to help me with this because this is what I'm doing now. Well, what have you, what have you adjusted on? Because yeah. for me, the mace has been really crucial because my yeah. shoulders, man, they're an absolute train wreck. Um, and, and I didn't realize how bad they were mm-hmm. until I was figuring that, you know, that you're, you're arm locking people, you're trying to hold on and you get a Kimura every once in a while, mm-hmm. or you get Kimura. Um, it's just a lot of wear and tear on the movement yeah. of the shoulders. So the mace work has really been beneficial to me. I've been doing a lot of TRX stuff, a lot of band stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm really trying to find, I, I'm actually going to send you a really video, a really cool video that I found in the black hole of, of jujitsu videos that I went through on YouTube, which, which is actually a good sign for me because yeah. before, before very recently, I was just going to class. Okay. And I wasn't, I wasn't drilling at home. I wasn't yeah. watching the other videos, but after I really kind of got my, my tail kicked in a, in a good rolling session uh, with a guy that was about my size, I don't know if he's ever lifted a weight in his life, but he was one of the strongest individuals I've ever locked on to, to be okay. honest with you, he just corn fed, country and uh you know and uh i was like okay i gotta get serious about this because i'm not gonna outstrength everybody i'm not going to and especially you take 10 years off somebody with healthy knees and healthy shoulders and a healthy back and healthy neck um i'm at a i'm at a i'm at a disadvantage so um i'm like you in the same way like i did eight weeks of of barbell work programming for peace love and meat and about week five I felt so bad from it after the the year and a half, almost two years of kettlebell work and the mm-hmm. flow movement. I, I won't say this definitively because I, you know, I do have, you know, hyperactive tendencies. So I'll, I'll jump around all the time, but I just really don't see for myself and my future endeavors, as long as they pertain to jujitsu, the barbell being a staple yeah. at all. Um, and, and I don't say that with disregard, like 99. Nine, eight, seven percent of people in the world, I would encourage to base around the barbell. But um, for me, where I'm at, the things I've been through, I think kettlebell, mace work, uh, body weight work, a lot of pull ups, a lot of like isometric stuff. Dude, walk with a freaking heavy sandbag for about 10 minutes, just choke, like just hugging it on your chest. Style. Yep, exactly. Yeah. 
And that's the kind of stuff that I'm getting into um, looking at, you know, more farmers carry stuff, worried about my grip, worried about my individual finger strength, worried about like doing some calf raises where I not only go up, but I extend up onto the top of my toes with a little assistance with my hands. Yeah. Um, Just trying to, trying to think about all the things that I observe with other people. Like I was communicating about Linda. Um, I watched her take her middle toe and her big toe and interlock them. And that was the only thing that she was able to that was the only thing that she was able to hold on to because the person was so much bigger and she was so much smaller. Right. Um, but that was what, she, you know, she was able to go to that. And I was wow. like, well, I wonder if I, I can't even, my big toe is like this Homer Simpson head. Like it doesn't <laughs> even fit. It doesn't even like fit in between my other toes. So um, just trying to get dexterity with everything, yeah. you know, and body awareness, more body awareness, because I usually get three of the limbs right in a maneuver. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, I was supposed to plant with my left foot. That's why everything was about a hundred times harder than it looked for you guys. Um, but I'm getting three limbs, right? So I, I'm not, yeah. I'm like a C student. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You know, it's the it's very similar for me. The things that, uh, the mace, yes, has helped. I do. I've been doing regular three sixties for a couple of years now. So I feel pretty good about that, but leading from that, just rotational strength in general, like, which is why we do a ton of kettlebell work where you're actually moving in transverse plane and, and all these kind of things, because like you said, just that straight sagittal plane or frontal plane movement with a barbell. I mean, it's good for testing strength, absolute strength. Right. But moving and having things where you've got to be in really kind of almost awkward positions and, and that body awareness that you mentioned, I think there's, I've been doing a ton of stuff with, with sandbags. Um, yeah. and, and the sandbags that I have don't have any handles on them at all. It's basically like a big nylon garbage sack with full of sand. Yeah. And so you're, you actually have to grab the sand and like kind of open palm it. So challenging yeah. grip a lot that way. So I do a lot of like tosses and, uh, presses and carries and all that stuff with those. Um, and then a same thing, interestingly, like a ton of isometric work, because one of the first things I noticed, like the first couple of days in class was that when you're in guard position and you're essentially just sitting in like a hollow hold position with yeah. your neck up off the ground. And like that for those first couple of days, I'm like, Holy hell, like my neck is so sore, like just from holding yeah. that, that head off the ground and abs are always on. So isometric stuff and rotational strength has like really been my focus. You know, I, I see the iron neck and I, and I, and I can appreciate, um, you know, the application of that. Yeah. But dude, one of the things that we've been doing, if you, if you're curious, um, we used to, we used to do it at university of Kentucky when I worked with football up there, it was just towel drills. We take a, we take a towel and hang it over the back of our head and just, you know, not crazy resistance, but just, you know, you you know how hard to push. And then it was just these towel shrugs like this. And then uh, what I would also do towel against my head band against the rack and just do some of this. And then also, um, laying flat on the ground and having somebody, this is where you need a partner, but just having somebody kind of push on your forehead and just doing neck ups. And then I know that I know you get a lot of criticism for them, but I still think, you know, if you look at the greatest of all time, you you talk about, I'm just going to throw to Alexander Karelin being Mm -hmm. uh, the Russian wrestler who was undefeated up until uh, Rulon Gardner. And then Tyson was known for him too, his neck bridges. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to the, the level of, mastery that those two went with their neck their neck bridges because i do think at some point it can get a little 
wishy-washy on, on how good it is actually for you. But I think you can realize after a few classes, you better be able to have that skill yep. and you be able to, you know, because sometimes the only thing you have to drive off of is the back of your head. You know, if you're trying to wiggle away or shrimp away from somebody, sometimes the first pull is with your neck mm-hmm. and you know, you're going to follow the weakest point in your chain. And right now that's my left knee. I don't want yeah. it to be my neck. I don't want it to be my shoulder or something else. Like I've got a pretty good excuse for my left knee to be terrible. Um, so I'm trying to adapt all these things and, and think about it creatively and not overthink about it too, because, you know, a lot of these other people in here, they're not training in the gym necessarily like I am, right. You know, they're just, they're just coming in here and they're extremely proficient. So I have to remind myself of that too. Like how much of this extracurricular weight training do I actually need? Or do I just need it enough to kind of like stoke the fire, keep the body mm-hmm. fresh, keep the body strong, but not necessarily building forward. I don't think I need more strength right now. Right. I need more movement, more flexibility, more mobility. And like you said, more strength through movement planes. Exactly. And that's similar. Similarly with me, that's really the only reason I ever throw and for my own programming anyways, that I throw any barbell work in like yeah. a couple, a couple times a month, I'll just do some like 85, 85 to 90% deadlifts just to see if I still got it. You know, it's more like yeah. a test than it is like me programming to improve on my deadlifts or like to build strength in that capacity. Cause I think it's beneficial. I, I think it's beneficial for everybody, but you just need to know what heavy feels like every once in a while. Yeah. You know? And if, and, and if you're just training with kettlebells, like as much as we love them and as beneficial as they are, like, unless you've got 200 pound kettlebells that you can, you know, do stuff with, it's, beneficial every once in a while just be like let's let's pull up a bar off the ground see how much strength we still have uh it's so hard (laughs) i I know what you mean dude i i used to i mean i used to get i used to get so excited to lift heavy and now i mean and maybe this just talks to the to the softness of the older man but i used to get so hyped up thinking about 800 pound plus deadlift right and now it's like man that's just like nine plates aside that i have to love <laughs> you know what i <laughs> just mean all the work to get it ready uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i mean i don't know i think that was the other part of it too is like for covid um and especially with terrence you know yeah. i was able to go down to the gym spend 30, 40 minutes in the pure quiet of darkness before the sun came up, have my cup of coffee, journal a little bit and train. And it was like, man, now my entire day is free. I can't, I can't deadlift 800 pounds at five o'clock in the morning. I never trained. I never trained well in the morning crew at West side. I always trained with the night crew. I, I can get up and I can go, I competed well. So obviously I can do it, but on a sustainability chart, right. like, I don't like training in the morning. If I'm training for something maximal, I like to get three or four meals in my gut. I like to be up and moving around. I like to have a little bit of like time to process what I'm about to do. Cause usually for me at eight o'clock in the morning at Westside, especially when I was 300 plus pounds, not sleeping well, not having a CPAP, it was like, I didn't sleep at all. Yeah. Let's go train as heavy as I can and get yelled at. Cause I suck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was, there was no, there was no good that was going to come from it. And, and really no good came from my morning sessions. All I did was just get feedback that I sucked and mm-hmm. then I would apply it to the night classes, but, or the night crew. Um, but yeah, I just think that for me, the morning stuff needs to be more like yoga needs to be more, yeah. be more like body weight movement. Um, 
I'm just a little bit older now. I, I just, I, I'm a little stuck in my ways. So <laughs> it's funny. Cause like, I'm sure part of that too, with even like we made the joke of just having to load all that weight up. Right. But yeah. part of it is you did that for so long. Like part of you is just like, I don't, I'm, I'm done with that. I've done enough reps of that in my life. Cause it's well, the same, cause it's the same with me with just running. I mean, like I, yeah. ran, I ran college track. Right. So literally yeah. I put so many miles in doing stuff. And when I was done, I was just like, I don't, I'm never running again. I've done all the running I need in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think for me too, part of the, part of my kind of like oil and water feeling with the heavy stuff is I know I mean, that's, that's an illicit drug for me. Yeah. That is something that more is my drug. And if, as soon as I hit 500 and it doesn't feel like it used to, we got to get back to 600. You know, it's like, I always kind of go into that process and I wasn't, I'm ashamed to say that the best I was as an athlete was probably the poorest I was as a person, just selfish. Everything was focused towards that. I didn't care if I hurt your feelings, you know, and I was supposed to give you a birthday card and I forgot like, okay, I got to train at five. I don't care. Um, but I also had that singular focus that, that got me a lot further probably than if I had just been more casual about it. So it's a little bit of that, like, okay, I, I beat this thing. Like I, I, I beat every goal that I ever set for myself. I, I, I surpassed. I mean, I'm still, I was pretty cool. Somebody messaged me the other day, my multiply days back uh, when I was younger, I'm still a top 25 total all time. Nice. Um, in that, in that regard, um, shout out to all the raw lifters that have surpassed me because we've got some absolute monsters in the world right now, yeah. but I've still got a, I've still got a top 50 total there when I was, you know, in nice. 2013, we're talking eight years ago, um, I was number 12 or 13 all time. And now you can see, I, you know, I'm yeah. still a top 50 number. So the sport has evolved. And I think for me, that is the thing I'm most proud of is that yeah. I was, I was a part of the sport, you know, when Dan Green, Stan Efferding, Eric Lillibridge, there was kind of like this, I don't I want to say the golden era, but maybe there was kind of like this flash in the pan era of mm -hmm. like some really, really quality people that they just kicked up raw lifting again, made it cool again. And now the sport has just exploded. If, if nobody ever says, oh, he was a great lifter, but they say, oh yeah, Brandon was a part of that. I'll be cool with it. Like yeah, that. Yeah. And if they, and if they don't, I'm still cool with it. But, um, that would mean more to me than being remembered for my personal lifts. But just to say, Hey, he went to that backyard meet when Mark Bell said he was due to come dead last and won the, thing. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that would, that's, that's probably my proudest achievement in powerlifting is Mark Bell publicly said that I would come to his meet for last place. Um, because on paper I was like, I right. was, I was kind of like, people knew who I was, but I wasn't like, over that hump yet. Yeah. And then I went out there and, um, and I, I got my first thousand kilo total. I pulled my first 800 pound deadlift there and the 2000, the 2204 total, the 804 deadlift was what it took to win the meet. So it was like everything coalesced into that point. Right. And, um, you know, that was, I think if he hadn't said that, I probably wouldn't have trained as hard, but I, I had it in my, um, rear view mirror you're coming for last place. I had it on my refrigerator. You're coming for last place. Love and I had it, um, I had it in my, uh, on my bedroom in the, uh, the headboard. So everywhere I went, I saw that. And it was like, not that Mark meant anything negative by it necessarily. Right. He's just, you know, he's just kind of that guy that he, he was promoting his meat. Right. Right. Um, but I sure knew how to use it. You know what I mean? And, and I can always take that. If somebody, if somebody cuts me down, 
I don't need, I don't need a whole lot of fire to burn that gasoline. So exactly. Uh, speaking of that kind of motivational thing. So, I mean, it sounds like you're someone that kind of thrives on the, almost like the negative thing for sure fuel for the motivation. Right. Like, it's almost, it's like the Tom Brady thing, right? Like he loves when people tell him that he's old, right? Like, and it's that kind of thing. So is that something that's always been the case? Like, have you always been that way? Every, every coach I had that I gave a shit about my, my little league baseball coach, um, coach Shootman, man, he, he believed in us so much. My nine year old, it was nine to 12 year old little league. We went undefeated. Um, and it, and it wasn't like, it wasn't one of those deals like it is now where you can stack teams and recruit and all this crap. Um, this was just like every coach gets a player and they just go in a round robin and pick. And we were just the bad news bears. I mean, we were, we were, we were tough. We loved to practice. We got after it, but man, he would absolutely get in your ear and rip you apart. But it was like, I didn't want to let him down. That was my coach. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want him to think I sucked. Mm -hmm. So that was all of us. And we, we did that. And then my, the coach that probably did more for me than anyone, his name is Bunky Harkle Road. He's a, wow, he's a women's. Yeah. He's a, his, his dad's a legend. He's a legend in my mind. And he's a coach out at uh, Sacramento state for the women's basketball. And he's been, he's, he's actually got one of the coolest. He'd be a great podcast for you, by the way, he's got one of the coolest systems he invented or he didn't invent, but I think he kind of escalated this idea. Have you seen the run and gun basketball where, it's all around a mathematic equation. If you shoot so many threes, if you do so many substitutions, if you do all this stuff, okay. you mathematically cannot lose the game. If you get 30, if your team gets like 40 rebounds a game as a team, you cannot lose. So, but you just outpace everybody. You substitute right. five people at a time and it's in and out, in and out. So it was grueling playing for this guy. Yeah. And I remember one time in practice and I don't like, if anybody takes issue with this, this man made me the best human that I could possibly be. Mm-hmm. I can remember messing up in practice and he made everybody else run except me. So then I was like, no, hell no, I'm doing it. And he goes, well, you're running until the end of practice. So like 40 minutes later and it was sprints like suicides, but I had to keep my hands up. And he was like, if your elbow drops below your shoulder, then everybody else has to run and you get to sit. So I was like, I'm not putting them down. He was like, put them down, put them down. You're a pussy. You're this. He's just talking to me awful, but I didn't quit. And that's what he told me at the end of practice. He was like, I knew you had it in you not to quit, but I'm glad you didn't. And then later on, he became my basket or my soccer coach in high school. We got in a fist fight. And, and I mean, like, but there was no, like, my dad didn't get mad about it. My mom mm-hmm. didn't call the school board. Like I told him, I said, he shoved me. We were, you know, scrimmaging. We kind of elbowed me and I shoved him back and I swung on him, you know, and like, yeah. he wasn't going to take that. So he smacked the <laughs> shit out of him, you know? So, but the very next day we had a game and like we were hugging and crying. And that dude, I still, I still credit him as one of my best friends in the world. We talk pretty often. Mm -hmm. Um, He lives, he lives in Sacramento, obviously, but just the guy that will call and check on me. He's like, how you doing, man? Like, what are you doing right now to get better? How are you feeling? And I don't know if it was just the culmination. And I had another couple coaches that were, that were hard asses too. And then of course, training at West side, I trained before there was a guy named Robbie Burns, Mm -hmm. who was a coach who was that way. Louis Simmons, obviously that way. Mm -hmm. I trained with Chuck Vogelpohl, who was that way. Like I've never been around guys who are like, all right, guys, good job. Hey, good Good job. job. (laughs) Good job guys. (laughs) You you, you willed yourself there. Thanks. You know, it's like, 
shout out, shout out to the guys that can do that. You know, like the Phil Jacksons, right. you know, the Zen, the Zen Buddhists who can kind of sit back and, and just let it unfold. That's why I think my psychology is very dangerous because I shit talk myself a lot mm. to get good. Mm-hmm. But what happens is sometimes when I can't get over that hump, the shit talk becomes like worthlessness. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it really does. It's like this double-edged sword. If I can get to the next checkpoint, the shit talk is really good. But if I'm stuck for a while, I can find myself like talking myself like, man, you're worthless. Like you can't even do this thing. You can't. And then it's like, it's a little harder to get out of bed. It's a little harder you know, um, so I, I got to be careful with that. I do have to be kind to myself, um, as odd as that sounds to say now, but I've learned that I can put myself, I mean, literally I've told you before, April 16, I talked myself into putting a gun in my mouth. You know, yeah. the, the, the best thing that I ever did that day was talk myself out of it. Right. But that was where I was. I couldn't, I'd had multiple surgeries. I was trying to get back into powerlifting. I could get to a certain point, like that 600, 700 pound squat mark. And then my body would just fall apart again. And I'm like, you know, all I could see as healed or as good was surpassing my old self. Yeah. So then it, it got to the point where like, you're not even worth living, man. Like you suck. And it, it it's a dangerous thing. Yeah. So I have to, I kind of have to mitigate those two ends of the spectrum um, to really, to really be the best version of me. That's why you see a lot of my stuff online is relentless positivity right. because I am never talking to you when I make a post. I am talking 100% to myself. Like if you see something that's motivational um, in a positive way, it's because I'm like, okay, if I need to hear this, there's somebody else that needs to hear this too. Or I tell myself that. But it also helps me kind of like, okay, out of body, I'm looking at this message that I just created. Okay, all right, I'm not all bad. You know what I mean? Um, So that's why I try to err more to the side of positivity. Um, You know. Like I told you before, I can sure get down the rabbit hole of being pissed off really easily. Right. Yeah. But I, I don't know that more people need more pissed off and need, need more negativity, you know? How much did, and I don't know if, if he was the direct influence of you starting journaling, but the journaling process that you started going through, was Terrence like the very start of that or had you messed around with that before? How did that help with all of that? So I was an English major. Um, I was pretty, pretty into creative writing, free thinking, um, just flow ideas kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got to credit Dr. Phil English. He was, um, God, he's one of the greatest humans I've ever met and just a fascinating guy. He challenged me to just write all the time. He was like, if you want to be a writer, you better be writing. Like yeah. if you want to be a runner, you got to run. If you want to be a power lifter, you got to lift. So he was like, just keep a journal, write down notes, write down something. Somebody says that sounds cool. Or if you hear a song, there's a lyric that's cool, write it down. And he was like, you'll learn to get the pen flowing. And I did that. I was really, really good at it. I've looked back at journals that I wrote when I was 21, 22. And I'm like, how, like, how did I write these things? You know, I've looked at, I've looked at papers that I wrote in college and I can't comprehend it because I feel like an idiot most of the time, but it's in there. And I was the, the rule of the thumb is you get better at what you practice at that point in my life. I mean, the school that I went to, the average uh, research paper that I had was 12 pages. My senior thesis paper was 50 pages minimum. And, you know, it, it was very writing intensive, but the classes were 15 people. 
You know, you didn't have these huge 300 people classroom kind of things with two page papers. Right. Um, it was it was intense. And every page was scrutinized. Every page was Billy Wooten and Phil English and Verlaine McDonald made me a better writer. I had some papers published in college on scholastic uh, journals and very, very proud of those things. But I got away from it. You know, in powerlifting, nobody gives a shit about what you write. Nobody cares about your poetry. Nobody cares about that stuff, especially the era that I came up in, which was like super hardcore, i.e. kind of like a biker gang almost. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Terrence really welcomed me back into that space. He, he kind of challenged me to write some more. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, ever since he died, um, I didn't write in my journal for a while. Yeah. I didn't write in it for a while. And I don't know if it was because I just, I, I get fucking sad, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about him or if, uh, I don't know. I kind of, I don't think I realized I'm just now, you know, he, he passed in October. Yeah. Um, and I think it was easy to kind of fake it through because of Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, those were high points with my family and people are close, but if you look at peace, love and meat as a whole, since then, you can see some direction was lost. You can see some focus was lost. And I didn't want to admit that I was hurting probably as bad as I was and didn't even realize I was hurting as bad as I was. But I've noticed in the last little bit that I'm coming out of some kind of fog that I felt um, creativity feels a little more natural now and things like that. So yeah, it, it, when he passed away, man, it really, really hurt me. And that's, it kind of made me mad to a fact that like my accountability was to him, not to myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's tough to swallow too. Yeah. Um, I definitely admit, unfortunately that between October and really new years, I drank more than I wanted to, um, smoke more weed than I probably should have mm -hmm. just, just didn't hold the line like I was before. But I, I finally feel like I'm kind of getting back to that place of discipline and, I really still need, I've actually kind of made the intention within the next week or so just to go out in the woods for a day um, and just kind of feel it, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever comes, just let it come and yeah. start the process of truly healing. Because I think for me, a lot of the stuff that I did in those months uh, between his passing and really new years was just kind of like denial, you know? Gotcha. Um, and I talked to his mother pretty frequently. Um, you know, people tag me and stuff of his all the time. And, and I welcome that. I mean, I, I never want his legacy to, to go away or to be forgotten. But, man, I don't know of any other human being that ever made me feel like they, they fully understood who I was. You know, mm -hmm. um, the, the volatility of being masculine and being strong and being you know, being everything good that is man, but in a world that kind of challenges that and says that you're not, um, the ability to rise above that and just, I don't know. Uh, it felt like with him, we weren't talking about masculinity, but we were living masculinity. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think that's a real big problem in this, in, in the world today is that masculinity is for sale. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an ebook. It's a, it's a program. And I don't, I don't dismiss people that are, that are doing that because men need each other so much. Men need each other so much. But at the same time, uh, the area that I failed was that I was attaching a lot of myself to 
the experience that I shared with Terrence. You know what I mean? And like, um, we need to learn that if we are men, we are men alone, but we are also men in company of men. And I think that's what I've really tried to work through now is like, okay, since January, who am I? What am I about? What are the things that make me a good man? What are the things that make me a bad man? And like I've said before, I've never, ever in this lifetime, anywhere I've ever gone, had somebody walk up to me and challenge my masculinity. I've never had that. Yeah. I see, I see it on TV. I see the roles uh, of certain characters being changed. I see the narrative of the, the news and that kind of stuff. But I think we need to get under, away from this idea that masculinity as a whole is under attack. It is in some places, but I can tell you right now, you know, it's like, I I don't care what color purse Michael Kors is making for women because it doesn't affect me. That's why a lot of the, a lot of the, the anti-masculine rhetoric doesn't really impact me. Like I don't get so mad about it because it's like, they're not coming to my house telling me I can't be a man. They're not looking me in the face and saying, I can't be that. But what I will say is that we need stronger men to 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 emulate, to yeah. learn from, and to be. So that's what I want to be. I want to be somebody who doesn't talk about it, who doesn't preach about it, who never ever got to be careful in this world because I did it in powerlifting. I was on top of the mountain, and everything I said was golden until I wasn't on the top of the mountain, and my words were shit. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of these guys, and I know I know two of them. There are two guys in the masculine realm that are selling million dollars worth of product that are complete scumbags. You know what I mean? Like I've seen them in the real world. They talk about how they love their wives. They talk about how they love their kids. I've been places where I've seen them completely opposite of that. And what I would rather those guys say, rather than this perfect image of masculinity, quote unquote, I would rather they say, man, I, I have these hyper masculine tendencies and I'm fucking trying to figure it out. Like this perception, because what happens then is all the people that follow these guys, if they're, if, if the, if the God becomes false, what does that say about you? Mm. Right? So idolatry is very, very difficult. Like learn from these people, but don't put them on a pedestal. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's why I say masculinity is for sale. Masculinity should be shared. Masculinity should should be encouraged. Masculinity should be a part of our physical culture. It should be a part of our education. It should be a part of who we are as men, and it should be shared in the legacy and the traditions. But it shouldn't be something that, like, if you wear this shirt, you're masculine. If you wear this hat, that means you're tough. No. If you're truly doing the things that make you human or make you man, then that's good. That's, That's fine. But also... A lot of the guys that I look up to and respect have fallen greatly and they own it and they get back up and they go on. Mm-hmm. Stop. I have a real hard time following people who, who tell me how to live and they never have a mistake. Like, all right. It's just not there, man. It's, it's a dangerous wheel to be, to be on. I think because if we continue to emulate the wrong people, that is more destructive to masculinity than, than the real stuff. And it's so, especially with the way that everybody consumes information right now anyways. I mean, it's heard it a million and a half times with the problems of social media being just a nonstop highlight reel, right? But like, yeah. it's exactly the same thing you're talking about where all these guys are just like, I'm, they're prove, they're trying to prove that they're the, the masculine dude, 
right? Yeah, and, well, that's the thing, man, is it's like people really do this. And I think it's a study in human behavior. But if I have to tell you I'm something over and over and over and over and over again, maybe I'm trying to prove it to myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because I was that way in powerlifting. Like I, I didn't let my numbers speak for themselves because they would have, they were good enough to do that. But I had to go back and reinforce that, Hey, I am the strongest. I am this, I am that because I was afraid that I wasn't, I was afraid that I was not going to be recognized as those things. So I had to broadcast it all the time. So, and I'm not saying everybody that, that does that is guilty of that. I know some people like Mike DeSanti, Jay Ferruja. Those are two guys that you probably don't hear enough about that are really doing the in the trenches, positive male work, like showing that guys can get together and laugh without having a ton of alcohol or drugs. Like they can take a walk on the beach and train and, and get emotional and cry and whatever, and then come back, have a dinner, you know, dressed in a suit or dressed nice and, and just have the best time because, that's who we are. That's the mm-hmm. things that we do. I never, ever heard Jay say anything other than I'm good until I'm not. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this, this idea of the perfect man, where does it exist in society except before now? You know, all the people that said that they were perfect were all just fi- like false idols, false gods, mm-hmm. you know, and like Xerxes, for example, mm-hmm. you know, like he was the shit until he bled. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, that's the thing is like, I, I don't want it to happen, but I wait for the shoe to drop on some of these guys who have this perfect life who are leading these people behind them. And it's, and again, I, I don't wish ill on anyone, but I do wish that people will, will be a little bit more discerning with where they give their attention and maybe they can realize, okay, am I, am I just buying the product so that I can say that I'm masculine or am I actually evolving towards masculine? You see what I mean? Absolutely. And that's the, I think, man, it's especially with these guys that, and it's in every realm. It's not even just in the social media realm. It's just the the concept of looking to people to be the thing that we emulate, right? Yeah. With the idea that people and men specifically aren't infallible. Right. Like, I mean, everybody is, I mean, that's how our nature, right? So that it's that putting them on a pedestal thing that you said, and it's, it happens in every industry or every realm of life. And ultimately it always ends in disappointment at some point. It always does. I mean, you know, just to go to a, a simpler comparison, it's like, why does anyone ever get shocked when a Hollywood couple gets a divorce? Like, why is that ever, why is that ever headline news? Like, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian got a divorce and that's the headline news. Oh, by the way, we got bombed by Iraq or Iran, you yeah. know, not that long ago, but exactly. hey, that's seven, that's 17th down the line because the first 16 are the Kardashian responses to their divorce. It's like, everybody knew that was coming. If you mm-hmm. didn't, you're a moron. And that's the same thing that I tell myself, like on the good days, get ready for the bad ones. Cause they're mm-hmm. coming. And, and that used to be what I would do is I would have a string of, of good luck or good times or, you know, make a lot of money and it would feel like it was never going to end. So I never prepared for that downfall. Mm -hmm. I never prepared for things to slow down. That's the way I work my masculinity too. Um, Every day I wake up, I mean, I'm going to put it to you plainly. I got a dick and balls. I'm, I'm a man like Mm -hmm. period. So when I wake up, I don't have to profess or proclaim or or punch anybody in the face to be a man, Mm -hmm. but to embrace, to embody what it is to be truly 
positively masculine, to be strong, but to be soft when, when needed, to be intelligent, but also to come down to other people's level, to listen more than I speak. Those things are wrapped up in the masculine image that I admire. Like all my coaches, the farmers that I work for, my father, you know, these men, they never walked around with these problems. They never walked around with these stupid slogans in their head. Like all they did was got up and went to work and raised the family. Mm. Like you do that. I mean, you're doing pretty good. I don't care if you call it masculine, feminine, or you call it a starburst, like whatever you are, like if you're doing your job as a man, don't ever let anybody take that from you, but also keep seeking to figure out how you can do better. You know, keep seeking to understand how, how can I relate more with my son than my dad did with me? You know, my dad's not perfect. My dad has made a million mistakes. My dad and I had a big riff for a long time because I wanted more of that emotional side and he wasn't willing to, to maybe wasn't capable of giving it. Yeah. But now because of the trajectory of my life and the things that have happened, my dad is one of the coolest, most down to earth. Like we can talk really, really on the level. So if I could, you know, skirt 20 years of hardship with my son by being more willing to listen, being more willing to open up myself, admit that I'm not perfect. Cause that was my problem with my dad. I never thought my dad did anything wrong. Mm. So I thought he was this perfect human. And I just kept like everything I did was messing up. So it's much easier to be the rebellious son who does everything wrong than it is to, to, ch to chase that perfection like my dad and fail. You know, and I think we got to be careful of that. And the other thing for me, too, is if you if you've also noticed, I've kind of retracted myself somewhat online. I'm not posting as heavily. I'm not trying to tell other people how to live their lives. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how to live mine. You know, I don't want to be the person who's here. Do this, live this way, be this thing. I want to say, here's what I did today. Mm. And if that if that challenges somebody to get better, if somebody looks at the collective and says, man, 650 days in a row, Brandon's been getting after it at some level. Maybe I can too. Yeah. I, that's, that's what I'm looking for now is like, let's share this thing. Let's not, let's not put me ahead of you or behind you because if we're talking about guitar, I'm right behind you to learn from you. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about maybe high end powerlifting programming, yep. you would be behind me to learn from me. Yep. This idea that there's this one master person that controls all and knows all, you're just trying to be God. And I got no place for that. I want real people with real problems that overcome. That's all I'm looking for because the men that I appreciate have overcome some real, real hard shit. If your life has been smooth sailing, don't talk to me. Exactly. That's what you, bring up, <laughs> dude, you bring up such a cool point with the, why you're posting what you're posting. And it's, and it's honestly, like you said, it's, it's more of a reflection of what you need for yourself that you're just putting out for other people. Cause in, it's such a, it's such a balance for me. And I'm probably, it's probably the same for you being another coach, right? Yeah. Because like the nature of our profession is we're doing things to help other people. Yeah. Right. So I mean, ultimately that's, that's what I want. That's what right. I want. I, exactly. I want to help 10 million people, but I don't want 10 million followers. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. I want the, I want the ripples to, to carry. I don't need to be the guy that's getting the, the clout. Like if I inspire the next guy that inspires 10 million people, Awesome. Exactly. That, like, I, I welcome that. I don't care if anybody knows my name. <laughs> That's one of my favorite. And I, and I wish I could remember how he actually put it, but it's one of my favorite lines that Terrence ever had said or written saying, uh, he's like, I don't say that I help anybody. I don't help anybody. 
Uh, yeah. He's like, I provide the information. It's you that's got to make the decision and and get up every day and do what you need to do. Uh, if you end up using what I'm giving out, great. But I just yeah. always, when he said, he's like, I don't help anybody. That always just kind of stuck with me how he said that. And I did yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah, it, it just, at what, like, am I it becomes a very dangerous psychology slope because it's like, am I running so that I can show the run Mm -hmm. so that I can show that I'm accountable so that it helps someone or am I doing the run because that's what I need to do? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And some days I, in some days I promise you the only reason I run is so that I post it for accountability, if that makes sense. But I, I try, I try to be honest before I press the send button. Mm -hmm. What, what was this post today? Was this because you crushed it? And you did it without thinking, I'm going to post this later and it was done and now you're posting it? Or are you going to run, you know, and it, it changes the tone of what I say with the post as well. Totally. I was just uh, on a podcast where we were talking about something similar. And he was asking about the like the verses that I post every morning when I'm drinking my coffee or whatever. And I post a little sure. verse from the Bible. I, t- I told him it's the exact same thing. Like, I'm not doing this to try to be a pastor to somebody. Uh, I'm doing this because if I know if I'm posting it, then I need to make sure that I'm reading every day. Like I need to do it for myself because that that's my trigger to make sure that I open up the book every morning, you know? Well, that's why, that's why I started counting my days too, Yeah. because what I want, like I have some, you know, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. The one area where like my life is the trajectory has gone really, really well. And because of a million mistakes that I made before financially, that was one of the areas where I was like the most work to be done was mm-hmm. getting myself, you know, 15 years ago, I was in a mess of credit card debt. Um, I just made stupid choices. I bought shit that I didn't need, whatever. Finally getting out of that, that rat race of paying that off, got all my debt paid off. So in the last couple of years, instead of like paying things down, it's now been wealth acclimation, right? It's been trying to understand the stock market, maybe dipping a little bit into the the cryptocurrencies and things like that. But it's very, very challenging for me to still look at myself as a financial success because I still feel like I'm swimming upstream in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because I'm not where I want to be yet. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm showing those trajectories, like day one, day 650, day thousand, day whatever, if you go back to day one and you look at my life, it's probably going to look a lot like this, you know, and that's the reality of things. But overall, you draw that stagnant line that goes through it like this or that the stationary line that follows the trajectory. Hopefully that's what somebody can see. Oh, well, Brandon had, you know, he was 330 pounds here and now he's this, this way. Okay. Brandon, you know, did this or this. I just want to put down a map that somebody can look at and be like, what's this thousand days mean? And go back to day one and see, wow, man, this, this guy's really come a long way, whether it be, you know, whatever, whatever scale of success somebody is looking for, I hope to share it. Like I don't make it, I make a much better stake today than I did a year ago when I decided I'm going to chase making the best stake that I possibly can. There's a year's worth of stakes that I've posted that you can see the progression, you know, and that's a silly little thing, but it's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to make a stake that I could serve my father and he would be like, that's the best steak I've ever had. Yeah. You know, or, or anybody in my family or any friend, a total stranger. Um, so I encourage people to find the things that they enjoy, the things that they love and be really, really good at those. And then just, it goes right back to the jujitsu lesson we talked about. Like don't ever call your strengths. Like don't ever alienate your strengths. You know, 
don't alienate your passions. If you're passionate about something, be invigorated, go harder on those things, but use the excitement that comes from those to kind of work on the other things too. Um, that's all I'm trying to do is just a, a nice progressive step-by-step day-by-day approach to the life that I want to build. Because so many people talk about, I want to be successful. I want to have these things. I want to be a good dad. I want to do this. What are you tangibly doing every single day to access those goals? Or are they just a hashtag or are they just a post that you're talking about? Like actionably, you can spend an hour with your kid every day. Mm-hmm. That can be a productive hour. Or that can be an hour where he plays a video game and you got your nose in the phone. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of times when I commit to an hour and it is that like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not perfect, but it's the commitment to the hour because at some point you've got to just realize like I had the problem the other day. I was listening to this guy talk about how our kids are so bad. Our kids are so bad. Who shapes our kids? Exactly. You know, like who, who raises our kids? Maybe we're the bad ones. So that's what I'm trying to do, man, is just figure out a recipe that works for me, figure out the, the structure of the day that allows me to be curious and expand and explore all my ideas and, and whatnot, but also really just try to be the person that the people around me need me to be. Um, that's when I'm the most fulfilled is when I feel valued by those people, you know? Exactly. Dude, that's a pretty perfect place to to wrap this one up. We're coming up on time and I know we've got stuff we got to get doing. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you, my friend. It was awesome. Always, man. We, I appreciate we'll it. We'll do, I'm sure, more episodes together. And I, I when I messaged you, it was funny because I, I know how me and you are when we talk. Like this could have easily been a four-hour Joe Rogan episode. If well, we, we, need to, we need to do one of those for peace. <laughs> we need to do one of those for peace, love, and me. Yeah. Like, no rules as long as yep. it goes. And if, and we can just dual share it, whatever, man, yeah. I don't have any problem with That'd that awesome. either. That'd be awesome. Yeah, man. Well, thanks brother. I appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Thanks my brother. All right, guys, thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to go sign up for the newsletter. If you haven't yet, that's going to be where you can get all of the updates on new things coming out uh, with programs, new episodes. You all are going to be the first to know when all that happens. So go to www.nomad-strength.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there. So peace, have a good week, and we'll see you guys on Thursday. Mm